you please turn with me to your study outlines? And as you're turning, let me welcome those of you that are watching online. We are so glad that you're joining us for our study of God's Word. We also want to welcome our friends in Arco, Idaho. We are so glad that you're joining us. Pastor Jay uh, motorcycled up there to visit with the Arco Church this week. And so I hope you had a good time with Pastor Jay up there. Also for our friends at the Hangar in Montana, we are so glad that you're joining us. I'm going to mention later on in the message uh, your campus pastor, Mary Todd in a few minutes as well. So glad that the hangar is with us. Now, today we're continuing our series on the book of Acts that we're going to finish this month. We've just got this one and a couple more messages on the book of Acts, and then we'll get into new series as we enter into the fall, rooted in purpose from failure to mission accomplished. And when you deal with trouble and trials and deserts and human suffering and evil in the world, there are two major worldviews that are out there. Two major worldviews. One of them is uh, propagated. I want to share you a quote uh, from Richard Dawkins. Let's put his picture up there. Uh, No, that's Richard Dawson from Family Feud. The guy that kissed everybody. You guys know Richard. That's not real. Okay, let's go with Richard Dawkins. Okay, Richard Dawkins. This is probably the most prominent atheist in the world today. And he writes this about suffering. He says, the total amount of suffering per year in the natural world is beyond all decent contemplation. In a universe of blind physical forces and genetic replication, some people are going to get hurt, other people are going to get lucky, and you won't find any rhyme or reason in it, nor any justice. The universe that we observe has precisely the properties we should expect if there is at bottom no design, no purpose, no evil, no good, nothing but pitiless indifference. Um, Dawkins insists that life is empty, pointless, futile, a desert of meaningless and insignificance. And to look at any spiritual resources to find purpose or meaning in the face of suffering is infantile. Now that's one worldview. Now compare that to the Christian biblical worldview. Uh, Compare that to the worldview uh, from Scripture that we are looking at here today. Pastor Brian um, has been reading a book by Tim Keller called Walking with God Through Pain and Suffering. And he knew I was going to preach on this, so he sent me some quotes from Tim Keller's uh, introduction to this book. When pain and suffering come upon us, we finally see not only that we are not in control of our lives, but that we never were. That's the thing about pain and suffering. God has a purpose behind us to show us that we are not in control of our lives and we never were. One of the main ways we move from abstract knowledge about God to a personal encounter with him as a living reality is through the furnace of affliction. One of the main ways that we move from just an abstract knowledge about God to a personal encounter with him as a living reality is through the furnace of affliction. Believers understand many doctrinal truths in the mind, but those truths seldom make the journey down into the heart except through disappointment, failure, and loss. Now, the Bible teaches that God has no favorites. makes it very clear that in Christ there is no male nor female, and Greek nor Jew. He has no racial uh, favorites. He has no uh, gender male-female favorites. He has no favorites rich, poor, anything of that nature. He has no favorites, but there is one exception to that. There is one child that is the favorite child of God. And that is the same if any of you are parents. uh, You know that your favorite child is the child that's going through the hardest time at any given moment. 
Who's your favorite child? It's the child that's, that's uh, been broken by life. It's the child that's going through a disappointment. It's the child that's going through a difficulty. And the Bible says the same thing is true for you. If you're here this morning and you're going through a hard time, you're going through a desert, you're going through a trial, you're going through a difficult time in your life, then the Bible says that you are God's favorite. It says in Psalm 34, verse 18, the Lord is close to the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit. If you're brokenhearted today, if you're crushed in spirit, then it's not an accident that you're listening to me right now. God called you here by personal invitation to let you know that you are his favorite child. And this is the way you should look at the trials that we're going through right now. The Bible says that trials of many kinds can actually lead to pure joy. James 1 verse 2 writes, Consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds. How many of you, when you face a trial, say, oh, pure joy? I I never do. But the Bible says, consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds. The Greek word that's translated here, many kinds, is poikilos, from which we get polka dotted. How many of you find that your life is polka dotted with trouble? Uh, All different sizes, all different shapes, comes from all different directions, some of them surprising. This past summer, our family was in the Sequoia National Park, and we visited uh, the General Sherman Sequoia. It's the biggest living tree in the world. It's 274 feet high, 102 feet around. And you would think that fire would be its enemy, but do you know that fire is actually its friend? Uh, They tell us that fire actually burns away the smaller trees so that more of the nutrients can go to this main tree. It's stronger because of fire, better because of fire, bigger because of fire. Do you know that fire actually causes its seeds to multiply at a more rapid rate? So it's more productive, it's more fruitful because of fire. And that sequoia is a picture of your life and mine when we go through the fire and the desert of trouble. Uh, It actually is not our enemy, but with God's hand and in God's hands, It can be our friend. It burns away the smaller priorities. How many of you find that when you face a tough time in life, all of a sudden the small stuff doesn't matter as much? Anybody with me on that? All of a sudden you get a sense of what's truly important in life. It makes you bigger, stronger, better. You actually are more fruitful. Your seeds multiply. You are more fruitful uh, because of the fires of trials and the desert experiences uh, that that we go through. And so we're going to look at the life of Paul uh, today. And I would encourage you, I'm kind of snatching out verses uh, in, throughout these stories, but I would encourage you to read it like a narrative. Chapters 23 through 26. We have one more time. We'll do just chapter 27 and then chapter 28. And so we've just got a, a message per chapter. But today we're kind of going through several chapters. And this afternoon or before you go to bed tonight, would you, would you read through chapters 22 or 23 through chapter 26? Just read it like the story that it is in narrative form. There are six trials that Paul goes through. First of all, by the crowd in chapter 22, by the Sanhedrin in chapter 23, by the Roman governor Felix in chapter 24, by the next Roman governor Festus in chapter 25, by the Jewish king Agrippa in chapter 26. And this king Agrippa is the great-grandson of Herod the Great, 
who tried to kill all the babies in Bethlehem to kill the Christ child, Jesus. And his great-grandfather was a scoundrel, and he was a scoundrel. The Jewish historian Josephus tells us that he was known for his fraud and stealing the money from the Jewish temple. And the Jews hated him so much that when they rebelled against Rome in 66 AD, before the destruction of the temple and the destruction of Jerusalem by the Romans in 70 AD, at the beginning of that four-year conflict, one of the first things they did was burn down uh, the Jewish king Agrippa's home. And they hunted him. They, they hunted him until they found him, and then they executed him. And then number six in the future is by the Roman emperor, Caesar, Nero, where Paul will eventually be executed. Now, here's what I want you to do. Uh, I want you to think right now, to make this message practical and not theoretical, think of the trial or the trouble you're going through right now in your life. And you got handled that puzzle piece, and I'll talk more about this at the end of the message but um, you got this puzzle piece as, as you came in, uh, hopefully you did, and either write down in your study outline, or if you have small enough writing, or if you got a big enough piece, to write on the back, maybe just the initials of whatever trouble you're going through right now. What's your biggest trouble this week? And maybe you want to do it in code so the people around you can't read it, but just write on the back of this puzzle piece, or if it's too small of a space, put in your study outline, my trouble right now is... And here's six biblical principles for how to look at that trouble. Number one, trials will bring out either the best or the worst in us. Paul writes about the church at Thessalonica. He says, therefore, among God's churches, we boast about your perseverance and faith in all the persecutions and trials you are enduring. So it brought out the best in the church at Thessalonica. Uh, They became more persevering. They became greater in their faith because of their trouble. The same thing with the church at Corinth. In the midst of a very severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. Isn't that interesting? The more poverty-stricken they became, the more generous they became. Do you know that studies actually show that you would think the more income you have, the richer you become, the more generous you become? Do you know the exact opposite is true? That the lesser your income, the more generous you tend to be to other people. I think it must be because you can identify You know what it's like to go through hard times. And so actually, uh, we always think, oh, if I ever made a big income, then I'd be more generous. The exact opposite takes place with people. The more possessive you become, the more we get. And actually, we're more generous the less that we have. And that was true with the Corinthians. Out of their extreme poverty, they became actually more generous. Uh, Paul writes to the Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 3, so that no one would be unsettled by these trials, you know quite well that we were destined for them. It's a part of life. Job says, we are born for trouble as surely as the sparks fly upward. When you stir a campfire, as surely as the sparks are going to go upward, that's how sure we are. Uh, When we go through trouble-free times, that is the exception to the rule, not the rule. The rule tends to be is that we kind of go from one trouble to the next, and the exception is if we go through a period in our lives when we are trouble-free. Now, this whole principle of trials will bring out either the best or the worst in us, I find this somewhat encouraging with Paul in Acts chapter 23. He's under trial, and the high priest, Ananias, says, he says something that Ananias doesn't like. So he tells the people, punch him in the mouth. Now, when you get punched in the mouth, out comes what you really are in that moment. And, and they punch him in the mouth, and something not too nice comes out of his mouth. I find that a little bit encouraging. I mean, this is the guy that wrote the love chapter, and yet you punch him in the mouth, and love chapter verses do not come out. Punch him in the mouth. 
Love is patient. Love is kind. Love does not bear record of wrongs. You know, that's not what comes out. But it is interesting. I am never that eloquent. If somebody punches me in the mouth, I'm just like, you know, and who knows what beyond that, okay? Um, when Paul gets punched in the mouth, Bible comes out. It's, it's quite remarkable. You know how I talked about, well, I guess I did this at the Hub, talked about some people, when they get angry, their IQ goes up, and some people, when they get angry, their IQ goes down. That's me. When I get angry, I can't think of a thing to say. Now, later on, I can think of a lot of stuff to say. But in the moment when I'm angry, I can't. But some people, their IQ goes up when they get um, angry, and Paul is one of those people. So it punches them in the mouth, And he said to him, God will strike you, you whitewashed wall. You sit there to judge me according to the law. You yourself violate the law by commanding that I be struck. He's quite eloquent for a man that's just been punched in the mouth. But he was wrong. It was harsh. And those who were standing near Paul said, how dare you insult God's high priest? Now, there are all kinds of theories as to, did he really not know who the high priest was? Well, some would say, no, the high priest changed on occasion, and he had been out of Jerusalem for a while, and so he may not know who it is. One of the favorite theories is that he'd had lousy eyesight. And there are other places in the Bible that indicate that, that Paul was blind as a bat, man, just couldn't see very well at all. And so he couldn't see who it was that commanded him to be struck. But notice how instantly, the first thing that comes out is kind of harsh, but instantly he repents of it. He replies, brothers, I did not realize he was the high priest, for it is written, and scripture comes out again, do not speak evil about the ruler of your people. And so trials will bring out either the best or the worst in us, and we choose our response. First uh, Peter chapter 5, cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. Be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Resist him, standing firm in the faith, because you know that the family of believers throughout the world is undergoing the same kind of sufferings. Number two, trials will come whether or not we do anything wrong. You know, the natural tendency whenever you go through trouble is to say, oh, I must have sinned somehow. That's why this is happening. And, and sometimes we're going to see in a moment, it is because of wrong choices we've made. But much of the time, it is not. First Peter 4, verse 12. Dear friends, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal that has come on you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. This is a part of life. It's not necessarily connected to bad things that we do. Acts 25, verse 8, Paul made his defense. I've done nothing wrong against the Jewish law or against the temple or against Caesar. So he said he hadn't done anything wrong. Uh, Next page of your study outline, chapter 26. Let's skip down to verse 31. After they left the room, they began saying to one another, this man is not doing anything that deserves death or imprisonment. And Agrippa says to Festus, this man could have been set free if he had not appealed to Caesar. So Paul says he hasn't done anything wrong. The Roman officials said he hasn't done anything wrong. Uh, Back in chapter 23, there was a great uproar. And some of the teachers of the law who were Pharisees stood up and argued vigorously, we find nothing wrong with this man. So Paul claimed to do nothing wrong. The Pharisees said he didn't do anything wrong. The Roman officials said he didn't do anything wrong. But here he is still in the middle of trial and trouble. The four places where trials come from. Now, sometimes they do come from my mistakes. And we need to own up to that. There's the fascinating verse in Proverbs where it says, many people bring on trouble on their own lives through their own bad decisions. They turn their back on God. They do their own thing. And then when they get in trouble, they shake their fist at God. And so we got to own up to it. That sometimes my trials have come from my own mistakes and my own poor uh, choices and decisions. A young man named Juan received a parrot as a gift. The parrot had a bad attitude. 
and an even worse vocabulary. Every word out of the bird's mouth was rude, obnoxious, and laced with profanity. He tried and tried to change the bird's attitude by consistently saying only polite words, playing soft music, and anything else he could think of to clean up the bird's vocabulary. Finally, Juan was fed up, and he yelled at the parrot. The parrot yelled back. He shook the parrot, and the parrot got angrier and even ruder. Juan, in desperation, threw up his hands, grabbed the bird, and put him in the freezer. For a few minutes, the parrot squawked and kicked and screamed. Then suddenly there was total quiet. Not a peep was heard for over a minute. Fearing that he had hurt the parrot, he quickly opened the door to the freezer. The parrot calmly walked out onto his outstretched arms and said, I believe I may have offended you with my rude language and actions. I'm sincerely remorseful for my inappropriate transgressions, and I fully intend to do everything I can to correct my rude and unforgivable behavior. Juan was stunned at the change in the bird's attitude. He was about to ask the parrot what had made such a dramatic change in his behavior when the bird continued, may I ask what the turkey did? <laughs> Just think about it for a minute. Yeah, yeah. It's a time delay joke, okay? Driving home later on. So sometimes it comes from my mistakes, my choices. Number two, the mistakes of others. The poor choices of others can bring trouble into my life. Number three, living in a fallen world. Sometimes our cumulative, um, our corporate choice as human race to do things our own way. We thought we could run the planet better than God could, and look how that turned out. And number four is God's purpose in my life. Sometimes God allows this trouble to come because he has a higher plan and a higher purpose, and he wants us to be focused on eternity and not that which is temporary. Now, number three, another principle, is trust God but still lock your house. Okay? Trust God but still lock your house. Uh, President Reagan used to say whenever he'd have a new treaty, uh, he'd say, trust but verify was uh, his saying. Um, I remember a saying from the Revolutionary War, not personally, I wasn't there, but I remember it having been written, uh, keep the powder dry. Negotiate with Britain, but keep the powder dry in case you gotta, you gotta go to battle. Jesus put it this way, be wise as serpents and harmless as doves. Be as harmless as a dove, trusting God, but still be wise as a serpent. You can see that going on in Paul here. 2 Timothy 2 verse 9, if this is so, then the Lord knows how to rescue the godly from trials. Maybe you came here today. Maybe you're listening right now uh, just to hear uh, that word. The God, God knows how to rescue the godly from trials. And we can see how Paul is harmless as a dove, but he's wise as a serpent here. It says in Acts 22, and let me just read the whole passage here because I find this somewhat humorous by the end. The commander ordered that Paul be taken into the barracks. He directed that he be flogged and interrogated in order to find out why the people were shouting at him like this. As they stretched him out to flog him, Paul said to the centurion standing there, is it legal for you to flog a Roman citizen who hasn't even been found guilty? You see, Roman citizens had much of the same rights that we have as American citizens 2,000 years later. He had a right to a trial. When the centurion heard this, he went to the commander and reported, what are you going to do? He asked, this man is a Roman citizen. The commander went to Paul and asked him, tell me, are you a Roman citizen? In the Greek language, it carries with it the idea, is somebody like you a Roman citizen? I mean, a scumbag like you caught in all this trouble and riots and people wanting to tear you to shreds? Are you 
a Roman citizen? Yes, I am, he answered. Then the commander said, I had to pay a lot of money for my citizenship, but I was born a citizen, Paul replied. Now, I love this next phrase. Those who were about to interrogate him withdrew immediately. You know how you get in trouble at school and you look around and your friends are all, they withdrew immediately. And they're like, oh my goodness, we are in such trouble. The commander himself was alarmed when he realized that he had put Paul, a Roman citizen, in chains. Okay. Now, Paul shrewdly uses his Roman citizenship to avoid a flogging. He didn't say, oh my, I guess it's my lot, flog away. No, he didn't do that. He was, he was harmless as a dove, but he was wise as a serpent. Later on, he's going to uh, appeal to Caesar. And so he uses the political system in which he finds himself to protect himself and to implement change. Now, let me just take a little detour, sidebar, and then we'll come down the home stretch. We've got the same chance to do this as American citizens, or as all citizens, as people that, uh, that uh, are part of this country uh, this coming Saturday. We've got a chance to do exactly what Paul has done here. Would you turn with me to page five in your programs? And if you look at the upper, left, upper right-hand corner, under the section that says justice, um, we've got a chance, as, as, as uh, people in our country, we have the chance, as citizens, as American citizens, we have the opportunity to have peaceful protest about something we consider to be wrong. And this coming Saturday, across the nation, from coast to coast, all across our nation, people that are pro-life are going to be gathering at Planned Parenthoods across our country to protest what's going on inside. Now, let me just say a word, and I wish I'd done this a couple of weeks ago when I talked about it at length. Uh, let me just say that if you have been involved in an abortion in your past, God forgives you like any of the dozens of sins that I need forgiveness, or thousands of sins that I need, millions, billions. We all need forgiveness at the foot of the cross. And don't let Satan whisper into your ear, you can't be forgiven, this is one. No, 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 you can be forgiven. And here's another lie that he'll say to you is, well, you know what, you could never protest against this because you yourself were involved in the past. You know better than anybody the heartbreak and pain that it causes. So you absolutely can protest on this. And you absolutely can be forgiven. And do not allow this part of your past to rob you of joy in the future or effectiveness into the, into, into the present and into the future. You, you can be forgiven for that at the foot of the cross through Jesus Christ. And so I'm hoping that many of us will be able to join this on Saturday. It's churches from across the area, but they're asking that they park at our church because there's not much parking at the Planned Parenthood that's just at the 10 freeway, just uh, about a half a mile down this direction. There's not much parking there. They're asking that churches park in our parking lot here at our church and then walk the half mile down because there's not much parking available down there. And you'll see details there, uh, there in that announcement, but I would hope that many of us will be able to participate as I will be doing uh, this coming Saturday to simply exercise our same rights in the same way that Paul did in this situation that we're looking at. Now, number four, the trial you are currently in is a piece of the puzzle, but is not the whole puzzle. Um, it's a piece of the puzzle. And you know, one more thing I, I meant to, to mention, and I want to do it particularly here at 945 because this is what our friends at Montana are going to see. You know, Mary Todd, who's our campus pastor at the hangar in Montana, um, she was arrested at a protest like this and thrown into jail years ago. 
one of the first ones to protest and to put. Now, we're not asking you to get thrown into jail on Saturday, okay? We're not asking that. But Mary has quite a story, and we'll need to get her here to share that story at some time. But Mary was very much ahead of her time and actually got arrested and thrown in jail as part of Operation Rescue that was, uh, I think, a couple of decades ago. And so I thought I'd just mention that uh, because uh, this is the message that uh, you'll see there at the hangar in Montana. The trial you're currently in is a piece of the puzzle, but it's not the whole puzzle. Now, would you hold up the puzzle piece one more time? Uh, why did we give this to you? Well, we did this just to irritate the ushers. Uh, this is what we did. You know that whole point that um, you find out what people are made of when you put them under trial? We just thought we'd see what the ushers were made of, and so it'll irritate them as it falls out. And then the custodians later on, as they're vacuuming these up, we will find out uh, what comes out of them at that point. You, Glenn, you whitewashed wall, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. or it'll be something different. And so at any rate, this represents the trial you're in right now. And so I thought we'd take about five minutes to just wander around. Let's put the, the puzzle together right now. Okay, you want... Yeah, yeah. No. No, it, it takes time. It takes hard work. And this is what it will look like at, at the end. If we put it up there, that's what it would be. Now, as I look at my puzzle piece, and it's kind of appropriate, the one I got, it's just completely dark. I mean, you can hardly tell where it's going to be in there. I have no clue what the end product is from looking at my puzzle piece, and you probably don't either, okay? Um, But you know, your life is made up of puzzle pieces. If you live to be 80 years of age, 52 weeks or so per, um, per, you know, round it back to 50, 50 times 80 is what, I think my math is right, 4,000 weeks. Our lives, on average, are made up of about 4,000 weeks 4,000 pieces of trouble every week. We get a new puzzle piece, and we have no clue what God is up to. How many of you are going through something right now, and you have no clue what God is up to? And yet, 4,000 pieces over a lifetime, this is what God is up to. And even though you can't see it now, this is what God sees when he hands you this puzzle piece week by week. The trial you're currently in is a piece of the puzzle, but it's not the whole puzzle itself. Now, Paul, can you imagine how discouraged he is? He is such an activist, and he knows there's so much work to be done. And he's stuck in prison for years, okay? Basically, he's going to be a prisoner for the remainder of his life. And, and so he's stuck there with this puzzle piece saying, God, what are you up to? So God knew he needed a piece of encouragement. And so in Acts 23, verse 11, the following night, the Lord stood near Paul and said, Take courage, as you have testified about me in Jerusalem, so you must testify, also testify in Rome. He gave him just a glimpse of what he was up to. Can you imagine if, if God showed Paul in that prison cell and all he's got is this little piece? And if he showed him, here we are 2,000 years later, three billion of us followers of Christ in every nook and cranny, ethnic group, language group, every corner of the world. Can, you, can we put that picture of the, the final picture up there one more time? Can you imagine how stunned he would be as he sits in that prison cell staring at this puzzle piece and to realize God is in the process of doing this. And the exact same thing is true in your life and my life as, as well. Now, just a couple more things, and then we're done. Number five, the trial you are currently in will last longer than you would like, but it is still temporary. It's going to last longer than you would like, but it is still temporary. 
Several days later, Felix came with his wife, Drusilla, who was Jewish. He sent for Paul and listened to him as he spoke about faith in Christ Jesus. As Paul talked about righteousness, self-control, and the judgment to come, Felix was afraid and said, that's enough for now. You may leave. When I find it convenient, I will send for you. Maybe you're here today, and you've never opened up your heart to receive Jesus as your Savior and Lord. And you say, I'm going to put it off until a time it's convenient. I'm young. I want to sow some wild oats, and then I'll decide to follow Jesus. There is no better time than right now. He put it off until it was convenient, and history never tells us that he ever got around to making that decision. If you keep putting it off, you'll never get to it. This is your moment. If you look again on page five in the upper left-hand corner, you'll see the steps to being a follower of Jesus. And then there's a little suggested prayer there. And right now, I want to pray this prayer with you. And I invite you to pray silently as I pray it out loud. Because the only way you can know that this trouble you're going through does have meaning If you don't have Christ in your life, the trouble you're in right now is as meaningless as Richard Dawkins' quote at the beginning of this message. It is only with Christ. And we know that all things work together for good. Not for everybody. People love that verse. They stop right there. All things work together for good. To those that love God, to those that are called according to his purpose. That's who get the promise. Those that have done the thing that God asks us to do which is to receive Christ as our Savior and Lord. So would you pray silently with me as I pray out loud? Dear God, thank you for sending your Son, Jesus Christ, to earth. I believe Jesus was who he said he was and proved it by rising from death. I want to discover and begin following your plan and purpose for my life. I want to get to know you personally. Thank you, Jesus Christ, for dying for me and forgiving all my sins, right here, right now, I receive you as my Lord and Savior. Thank you for your free gift of eternal life. And we pray this in Jesus' name, and all God's family said, amen. If you prayed that prayer, uh, we'd love for you to stop by one of the guest centers, either on the south end of the lobby or the north end of the lobby, and we have a gift for you. And if if you'd like to talk to somebody, there's uh, somebody there to talk to, and, um, but if you just want to get this packet of materials that will help you in your walk with Christ, just no obligation whatsoever, just pick this up as a gift. If you'd like to talk to somebody, uh, there's somebody to talk to there. Then number six, second guessing is still guessing. Now here's what happens. When we get into trouble, we second guess ourselves to death. Every one of you that commute to LA on the mornings you have one of the biggest decisions of the day ahead of you. Do I take the 10 freeway or the 60 freeway? And Murphy's Law is whichever you pick, the other one will be stacked up, okay? It's just going to turn out, and you're going to go, why did I make that decision? Now, Ken Allen talked to me after the last service, and he said, he says, neither, Glenn. I take the Metrolink. So there's an advertisement for the Metrolink. Second guessing is still guessing. Second guessing. Look at this. Agrippa said to Festus, this man could have been set free if he had not appealed to Caesar. I don't know if Paul overheard those words or eventually they were reported to him. Can you imagine how much second-guessing as he sat 
years in his life, and eventually he's walking to be beheaded by Nero. Can you imagine the second guessing that would have rung in his ears? This man could have been set free if he had not appealed to Caesar. But you know what? You don't know what God's plan is in your life. You don't know how that puzzle piece is going to work out. Don't rob your joy in the present or your effectiveness in the future by second guessing. You made the decision you made with the information you had at that time in your life, and God is able to pick that up if you turn it over to him and to work it all together for good. So second guessing is still just guessing. Don't be tortured by that. Put it before the Lord. If mistakes were made, confess them and move on to the future that God has in store for you. Let's stand up for the benediction. If you want prayer for anything, the prayer room is open with the prayer team and the prayer partners. They would just love to pray with and for you if that would be an encouragement to you. Jesus, Jesus, how we trust him, how we've proved him, or and or. Jesus, Jesus, precious Jesus, oh, for grace to trust him more. And all God's family said, Amen. God bless you. Have a great day.